The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Last week we got to hear from Joyce Poole and Petter Granley about the amazing work they're doing with Elephant Voices and what stuck out particularly was their recent visit to Brazil and a previous guest of ours, Scott Blaze, with the Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil. We are so lucky today to have time, uh, Scott has time, to talk with us, to fill us in. The last time Scott and I spoke was uh, after the pause conference in November of 2014. And if you refer to that episode on Our Wild World, you'll get a great deal of background. And now, today, we're going to get to hear how much has changed. So welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Ellie. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor to be able to share a little bit of what's going on. And, and again, as you said, how things have changed and evolved here in Brazil with our, our pilot project for Global Sanctuary for Elephants. So much has changed. So why don't we start with, um, we referred people to the first episode, which gives a lot of your background and a lot of the background of why Global Sanctuary for Elephants began, and that you began back at the uh, Sanctuary for Elephants in Tennessee. But why don't you give us just a little bit of background about you, your personal history with elephants, and then we're going to get into, um, you know, talking about this great, exciting thing that, big deal that happened between our last conversation and today, you got the land. So let's start with just a little bit about you. Okay. Um, yeah, I started actually working with elephants when I was quite young. I was uh, working at a safari park in Canada as a maintenance kid, about 13 years old, and started talking to the head elephant trainers. It was a very traditional style of, of elephant work with rides and shows, and was intrigued and enthralled and was offered a position working in that department. And through the next six years, uh, gained a lot of experience uh, working around males and females and had a calf born while we were there and had a geriatric elephant. And through all of that, um, assisting at other zoos with training and, and elephant transport, realized that something needed to change grossly for these individuals. And that led to the development of the first expansive sanctuary in the United States called uh, the Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee, uh, where I, we just were blown away by what we observed with the transformations that these captive elephants went through once they were allowed to go back to a natural space. 
Um, and after 16 years and uh, developing a really stable program there or, or uh, collaborating on an incredibly stable program there, realized the need for sanctuaries internationally. And that's kind of what led us to the development of Global Sanctuary for Elephants, a U.S.-based nonprofit organization that is dedicated to the development and oversight of sanctuaries for captive elephants internationally. And we're right now here in Brazil working on our first project that is a collaborative effort uh, with Elephant Sanctuary Brazil, which is a Brazilian nonprofit organization. And all of this came about because of uh, Elephant Voices, as you mentioned before with Petter and Joyce and, uh, and their great work in, in Africa. Uh, they've also been called in to, get to, to lend advice uh, with what to do for captive elephants that are suffering, uh, how to try to move legislation forward. And one of their partnerships evolved uh, here in Brazil um, with some local volunteers, and they wanted to help put an end to elephants performing in, in Brazil. And in conjunction with that, it's not enough just to create the laws. Uh, you have to also create the solution. You have to create the alternative. And that's a, in a small nutshell of how we ended up here uh, to, to collaborate on the de- development of our, our pilot project, Elephant Sanctuary Brazil. Well, this is fabulous. So tell us a little bit about the land. Um, listeners, please visit uh, globalsanctuary.org. Uh, that's uh, GSE's website, and you'll get to see some amazing images of the land. So tell us a little bit about this land. Land, uh, yes, this was quite a struggle and a journey here in Brazil. Um, you know, small nutshell there, we arrived in Brazil with the anticipation of a land that was going to be donated uh, up in the north of the state that we we're in called Mato Grosso. And uh, it was, I found out that the land had no documents, it had no title, it had no, uh, no paperwork at all. Uh, but the region was stunning, and uh, we continued to look for land in that region and found the same thing. It's a, a, land, a region that had only been developed for about 30 years, and uh, there's a significant amount of lands that just do not have proper paper trails. Uh, so we decided to move our search for land a little further south, closer to the state capital of Cuiabá. And we are about uh, an hour and a half. Actually, uh, the, this, the land itself is about two and a half hours from Cuiabá. And uh, found just just remarkable, perfect, ideal, pristine farm uh, that is is again beyond ideal for elephants. Uh, it was privately owned. Uh, it was uh, and actually because the owner really loved the project, he's actually working with us and he actually purchased three adjacent lands, giving us a total of 2,800 acres. And he is owner financing all of these four properties for us, his plus these three others. Uh, for this, this again, perfect, ideal location for, for the development of Elephant Sanctuary Brazil. Now, that is truly how philanthropy and philanthropists and conservation and specific projects work together. That is the ideal example, that you get um, passions uniting with passions and make something like Global Sanctuary for Elephants actually take shape and form, tangible form, and happen. So, once again, visit the website. You'll see gorgeous pictures or, or pictures of this gorgeous habitat. It has streams, it has rivers, it has hills, it has forests. Forests. It has everything an elephant needs to replicate a natural, uh, wild environment because it is a wild environment. It's it's not uh, even in Brazil. The elephants are not native to Brazil, but it is a wild, pristine environment, right? 
It absolutely is. And uh, we're actually in, in, the, in the municipality of Chapada dos Gimenez. And uh, this municipality actually has a huge national park. Uh, has at the higher elevation uh, than, the, than the capital of Cuiabá by about 2,000 feet. Uh, the climate is just perfect. You know, the, the average year-round temperature, uh, high temperature, is going to be around 85, uh, rarely gets below nine, uh, above 95, and rarely gets below um, uh, 65 during the day. Nighttime temperatures rarely drop below 55. It's just perfect climate. Uh, for, for elephants, which gives them, you know, even more freedom uh, than sanctuary typically offers. Uh, in the United States, we had to have large heated barns for them in the, in the wintertime. And here, this just doesn't need to exist. Uh, so not only does that save a substantial amount of money with, with development and maintenance, uh, but most importantly, it's just going to give the elephants more freedom. Um, Go ahead. That, and that's amazing. It just brings me to the point that you had mentioned um, when we were communicating to start this show, that... Uh, the cultural differences and the communications that you're talking about in the struggle of getting the land and my comment about philanthropy is that charitable giving is a relatively new concept in Brazil. It is. And that's, you know, actually a lot of people are surprised by this owner. And it's like, why would he do this for you? You know, why would he help you in this way? And it's because he just became enthralled with the project. Uh, He's just a genuine person. Uh, He loves what we're doing, loves the concept was in complete disbelief the first few times we met him, uh, had many questions and doubts of what we were really doing here, uh, but he just fell in love with it. And, and that just, uh, I think, with this, not only his, his collaboration and his interest, I think it's opening up more Brazilians' minds, Brazilians minds to how they can help, how they can contribute. Uh, because at this point, uh, charitable, charitable giving is not real common in Brazil. It is growing. It's expanding. Uh, and part of the problem here in Brazil culturally with nonprofits is that a lot of nonprofits uh, have been associated with government programs or government-affiliated uh, entities, and that has had some level of corruption. So one of the struggles here in Brazil is being incredibly transparent, being incredibly open, uh, answering any and all questions that any that people ask uh, in whatever form they, 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 they approach us, uh, because we need to build the trust uh, before we can start receiving, you know, substantial donations. Uh, that, but that, I think, that, go ahead. That's amazing. Um, a previous guest, Dale Priest-Kelly, he took a trip to Brazil and said the same things that you just said, how transparent, open, and willing Brazil Brazilians and Brazil, the government, is willing to be. And um, it brings us into another little point here that um, – it's uh, also changing with the community support. You started to touch on that, but uh, that the local community, you're two hours outside of the capital. Amazing that you're going to have an elephant sanctuary that close to people. And we're going to touch on this a little bit more, people and elephants together, and the difference between sanctuary and zoo. But that uh, the local communities are a big part of this. Yeah, and just for clarification about, we know, the proximity, we are actually about uh, five miles from the nearest small village, which is only about 200 people. Our nearest neighbor is about a mile away to the east and a mile and a half away to the west. Um, and so we're pretty, pretty remote here. And we're about uh, 35 miles from the nearest town with a grocery store or gas station. Uh, and that, too, is a relatively small town. So although we are only two and a, two and a half hours outside of the state capital, it's just... You know, we are we are secluded. It, it's a protected little private nest uh, that is, is surrounded by hills and cliffs and 
and as you said, streams and valleys and just an incredibly dynamic property that is perfect. And the community impact um, is really in, in, intriguing. Uh, we have uh, the small community close to us, uh, Rio here the Casca. Uh, they have, about, I said, about 200 people there. Uh, they're very interested in growing fruits and vegetables. Uh, we hope to hire folks from that local, muni- local community because there's not a lot of industry. There's not a lot of jobs. Uh, so there's actually a small school there that we want to start to work with, uh, not only to, to introduce the community to, to the larger scale of, of ele- animal protection, uh, but also about elephants, which they're very intrigued with. So there's multiple layers and multiple levels of, of community involvement, uh, political support. Uh, the mayor is completely on board. Uh, they all understand very clearly that we're not open to the public, uh, and they understand that that's not going to impede the depth of awareness it brings to this region and this community and, and to promote tourism uh, just by, by uh, bringing attention to the name of the, name of the region. Well, this is great because it also um, ends up in the long term, once everything gets up and running fully, which we'll talk a little bit more in the next section, uh, the Brazilian economy is uh, is a little bit in recession. Uh, the world is having some hard times to, to combine the, the concept of charitable giving, which typically, as I recall in most Latin American and other developing or developed worlds is humanitarian efforts, bringing up uh, the uh, conditions for the people. And um, wildlife conservation, uh, Brazil has always been very up on wildlife conservation, but extending this kind of philanthropic philanthropic concept to this kind of a large scale, both literally and figuratively, elephants are very big, um, brings a whole new... Uh, concept to Brazil and more things that Brazilians can do, as you said. Absolutely. And we've been completely blown away by the response. Uh, at first, people are doubtful and have a lot of questions because it is a, a, a very foreign concept. Even in the United States, it's still quite a, quite a bit of a foreign concept. Uh, but here in Brazil, you know, the thought of sanctuaries, you know, uh, there's, there's no real category that exists for us. Uh, but when you talk to people, when you explain about the trauma that the captive elephants endure, you know, and, and the impact that that captivity has, there's no doubt or, 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 or hesitation. They immediately respond, respond saying, you know, we need this. Uh, this is important. We just didn't know that they suffer. You know, this isn't right. What can we do to, to assist? So when you say there was no category for you, you're, you're talking about working with the government and a permitting process in order to yeah. operate having wild animals that are large and, you know, creating security and ensuring and um, uh, to the neighboring communities that they are safe. Um, right. So that goes back to some, a lot of laws in Brazil have changed over the past year and since the PAWS conference about animals in captivity. So here in the U.S., Ringling Brothers changed, and I can't say they're ele- they made a big do about their elephants going into sanctuary, but actually that sanctuary, they're still going to be used for human uh, studies on cancer research. So once again, what you're doing in Brazil is hugely different than even what Ringling Brothers, by, yes, they stopped elephants in entertainment, but they're not going the full step to getting them into sanctuary. So, no, um, far from sanctuary. Absolutely, very far from sanctuary. Yes, very, very far. And we talked about that a lot in the first episode um, where you helped us define the difference be- 
difference between zoo and sanctuary. So um, at this moment, uh, it would be probably a good time to just step away for a little break. And then because we have a lot to cover. So stick with us and we'll be right back with my guest, Scott Blaze and the Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This was Ellie Weiss with my guest, Scott Blaze, with the Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil. Right before the break, we were talking about how the sanctuary um, will have uh, impacts and 
and effects in Brazil. We already talked about the philanthropic changes. We slightly covered the changing laws regarding captivity in Brazil. But um, we didn't quite finish what is going on with the economy in Brazil and the effects that that will have on the sanctuary and that the sanctuary will have on the economy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We get a lot of comments, uh, both from within Brazil and out of Brazil, about the economy and the recession and the, the economic struggles. And And uh, I have a little bit more of a optimistic view than some, and definitely more optimistic view than most Brazilians, which is understandable because it's, it's not affecting us as, as much. Um, and actually, the, the recession is... is somewhat positive for us, actually quite positive for us. And at this point, because of the lack of charitable giving in Brazil, most of our donations are coming from international locations in terms of uh, within U.S. funds. And when we transfer that over to the, the Brazilian currency, uh, because of the weak Brazilian currency, our money is going much further. Uh, when we arrived here, uh, $1 was about uh, 2.5 reais. Uh, uh, hey, ice, and now it's almost four, and sometimes a little bit more than four. So, each donation that is made goes even further than it, than it did before, uh, lowers our development budget and de- de- development costs, and allows us to grow that much further uh, faster. Uh, the and the flip side of that is during this time, uh, or actually, the flip side, associated element of it is because of the negative aspects of the, the recession and how hard hitting it is for many Brazilians. There's people that are looking for something positive to tie into to talk about. And we're getting incredible media exposure for this new concept, this new fresh idea, this uh, somewhat altruistic and, and, and uh, um, uh, philanthropic you know, adventure is very positive, enlightening, encouraging to people and many Brazilians. Uh, so as people are, are, are going through the recession, we, have a po- we can bring a positive light to it. And I think this is going to turn into Brazil really jumping behind with charitable giving as their culture changes for charitable giving, uh, but also as the economy rebounds. And they're already going to have a chance to really learn about the true impact that we can have uh, on the elephants, on this land, uh, on the wildlife, and on the education of the region as, as a whole. Well, that's just an amazing explanation, and thank you for that, because it really helps us understand how our philanthropic dollars can go further. So please, listeners, uh, donate to Global Sanctuary for Elephants. Your dollar, you will get a lot bigger bang for your buck right now. So this leads us into breeding, and um, is it came to my mind, born free but living in captivity, and breeding programs, which many zoos often do. There's one in particular that is creating a whole new themed area, and uh, but they said they were going to continue breeding, where maybe give us just a little bit of the difference between zoo, a breeding zoo and sanctuary, and what it's going to mean, what it really truly means to conservation. Yeah, you know, from my perspective on this, and, and it's impossible to, to put the two side by side, because they're completely different functions. But, you know, a lot of times conservation projects, uh, zoo conservation projects, believe that breeding is going to promote, you know, saving the species. And there's no evidence of this. Um, It's just going to maintain elephants in captivity. And this is not the solution. Uh, We need to protect wild spaces. We need to protect wild habitats. We need to, you know, honor these wild lives for what they are. Um, And... Having them in captivity for any purpose is not the solution. It's not going to save the species. 
uh, we're not learning anything from elephants in captivity uh, that is going to save the species. Uh, uh, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, even though sanctuary is remarkable, it's just life altering and, and the transformations that we see are just, just astounding. It's still captivity. It's not their natural family. It is a pseudo you know, pseudo, pseudo family that is put together um, from, from elephants from, from different zoos and different circuses and in different regions where they were, were captured from in the, in the wild. When, uh, but it, it's, it's phenomenal, but it's not the wild. It's not how they should be living. And we have to honor these individuals that are here in captivity. We have to do what we can to give back to these lives that have suffered so much. But we also have to honor the, the conservation aspect, and that is living in the wild, honoring for the species for what they truly should be and where they truly should live. So that leads to one immediate question. Can elephants from sanctuary be rewilded at some point in the future when it would be appropriate and they'd be safe? So Sheldrick Trust takes in orphans and they are rewilded. Uh, your situation, elephants are not native, um, but is it a possibility that after rehabilitation and they learn who they are from your experiences at the Tennessee Sanctuary that they could be rewilded or would that be far too stressful? You know, let me first clarify that uh, here in Brazil we are not going to be rewilding elephants. It's actually a concern that some Brazilians have that, you know, okay, sure, it's going to start a sanctuary and they're going to propagate like crazy and they're going to be released into the wilds of Brazil. This is not the plan. <laughs> they are going to maintain within the sanctuary boundaries, and we won't be breeding here in the, in the sanctuary at all, uh, partly because the males, I mean, the females are going to be older, uh, 35 to 40 years or older than this, and many arrive with, with incredible compromise, physical compromise, social compromise, uh, emotional compromise. And for this reason, you know, for these reasons, breeding in captivity, breeding in sanctuaries is not in each individual's best interest, nor I, do I believe it's in the offspring's best interest. But the question about, you know, rewilding in terms of bringing elephants from, you know, that have lived in captivity in Brazil, get them to a certain point of recovery, a certain point of health and introducing them back to Asia or back to Africa, yes, it's possible. However, I don't think it's the feasible solution um, and for a couple of reasons. One, there's still – some of these elephants will require lifelong medical care. Uh, and then you have to consider if all of them can't be relocated, are you going to then fraction the family that they have reemerged and they have reunited to here – uh, or they have created here in captivity and send some individuals back to Asia and leave the other individuals here, um, you know, that ends up causing compromise in their social recovery. Uh, then the also the, the last consideration is elephants do fine in the wild when humans get out of the way. Right. And if we protect those wild spaces, if we can stop the poaching, if we can stop the land encroachment, those populations will rebound. So we don't have to take the elephants from captivity and put them back in the wild to sustain those wild habitats, uh, then sustain those wild populations. Those will rebound on their own. We just have to get the humans out of the way. You know, we have to stop interfering and trying to, to make it all better uh, or, or, and stop encroaching on their space. You know, we just, if you let them be, if you let them be who they really are, they're going to do just fine. Well, it's everything you were just talking about. You know, in sanctuary, it is a glorious chance of life and being reborn for an elephant. They get to thrive and discover who they are. But in the end, sanctuary, and I don't mean this in a negative way in any way, shape, or form, it is a stopgap measure that while we humans catch up to understanding what you have learned 
about elephants and what we've learned about elephants in captivity in the zoo situation versus the sanctuary situation. And thank you for that explanation because um, by creating pseudo families in a sanctuary that has enough land to hold them, you're creating a situation for a forever situation for these elephants. So what we have to stop doing is bringing elephants out of the wild into captivity, which is we covered a little bit with Joyce and Petter and the current um, issue going on in Swaziland to bring 18 more elephants to U.S. zoos, which end up sometime, you know, if we change the laws of captivity, where are these elephants going to go? And are we really willing to put these elephants, wild-caught young elephants, through everything you've just talked about? And in the previous episode, this trauma of being captive when this is not what should be happening to them. So um, you explain really well, not a breeding program. You're not rewilding in Brazil. So everybody calm down. Um, but um, let's go into something else. What's fun that you have in the sanctuary is cameras. And um, to bring together what we've previously talked about, peoples and ele- people and elephants being together. The entertainment factor and how people learn to understand who an elephant is. Is it standing on its head in a costume in a circus? Or is it roaming under an acacia tree in Africa? Or is it safe in a sanctuary in Brazil? Um, So with the cameras, and um, right now, the sanctuary in Brazil is not open for elephants. You're still in the building stages and, and completion stages, correct? Exactly. We are. Uh, we just moved on onto the property in December. Uh, we're dealing with a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, development and cleaning up the property and uh, tearing down old fences, building new fences, and, and getting the first phase of development uh, completed so we can accept elephants as soon as possible. That's great. Do you have any idea when that will be? We are hoping that within four to six months. Uh, this depends on on on, uh, on donations. Um, we just need the last money to, to finish the, the purchase of the materials, and, and we're ready to accept elephants. And how much money do you need? We are about $150,000 shy from our fa- first phase goal, uh, which was about $450,000, and that includes uh, the down payment on the land. It includes the uh, first elephant care center, which is kind of an open-sided medical care sh- uh, facility where uh, the elephants can receive medical care. And then two corrals that are about 20 acres each. Uh, from there, we will kick into our second phase, which is in just basically more fencing to include about 200 acres. And then we'll continue to expand into three, four, and five, uh, phase three, four, and five, which is more elephant care centers uh, and just more, more expansive space for them to wander on. And what is the carrying capacity for the sanctuary in terms of number of elephants? Uh, we're looking at the, this uh, land could easily sustain up to 50 elephants. Uh, right now, there are about 50 elephants in South America. Uh, there's a, a, probably a slim possibility that we'll get all of them. Uh, but with the, as you said, with the, you know the, the our society and our zoos still wanting to import, you know, there's a possibility that we could have have many more than this. Um, you know, depending on what zoos do. Hopefully they will stop. Uh, the ideal scenario for us is to not have elephants in captivity or not have elephants in sanctuary. Uh, but the reality is that they're here and we have to do as, as best we can for them, uh, for these individual lives, um, you know, in, uh, for the rest of their lives and, 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 and hopefully stop captivity sometime soon. 
So, listeners, this is that's what this little three-part series and actually several-part series on elephants, again, we talk about elephants and elephant issues a lot on this program, is it's threefold. There's elephants still being taken from the wild as young children and being put into captivity. And we all know about the Zimbabwe debacle of 200 elephants over six years. These 18 coming from uh, being uh, trying to be stopped coming from Swaziland to the U.S. And then there's all the other countries. And uh, previously, Scott, you had said there's 6,000 elephants in captivity between the U.S. and the rest of the world. So until we stop bringing elephants into captivity, um, our work must continue. So it's a, a good reason to donate to Global Sanctuary for Elephants because they're doing everything right. So um, that brought us, uh, we got the cameras, so we'll be able to see elephant behavior. And we've got a few minutes left, about five minutes left in this section. Um, entertainment value, as we talked about previously on our episode, touched on in this episode, uh, will people have access to the elephants at the sanctuary, or will it be more through the great videos and um, blog and stories that you tell from, uh, as an example, the Tennessee Sanctuary or like Shelter Trust? How are you going to manage the entertainment value and the public and uh, the sanctuary's presence? Is it open to the public or will it be private? It's definitely not going to be open to the public. It'll be uh, close to the public. Uh, we will have very small groups, uh, researchers, uh, veterinary students, uh, things of this nature, and this will all be through distance observation. Uh, we have, with the topography that we have here on the property, we can set up some towers on the edge of the property um, and maybe a small tower near the office where you can see over these, these dynamic hills and valleys and, and get a glimpse of how the elephants are actually living here. Uh, the majority of our observation and, and uh, education value is going to be through cameras. And this is the best way for people to truly learn and truly observe the nuances of these elephants recovering uh, without invading their space, without in- interrupting this, uh, these dynamic transformations. And with this, you, know, you learn it, what you see is vastly different. What we see in, in zoos, what we see in circuses, that's not who elephants are. We, we've even had zoo keepers who have come to visit sanctuary elephants in Tennessee after the elephants have lived there. And some of these keepers have worked with the elephants for 15 years, and they would say to us, I've never seen her look like this. I've never seen this elephant smile. I've never heard her vocalize. What we're seeing in captivity is not who elephants are. It's not who these individuals are. And this is not proper education. The only way to truly learn about these individuals is to learn about them, observe them in the wild, and observe them through sanctuary. And I think one of the benefits that sanctuary has, our viewers have an opportunity to observe the transformation. They get to see the look on their face when they arrive. They get to see their physical stature when they arrive. And they can see as they transition through to these remarkable individuals, social, uh, hurt, uh, uh, family-oriented beings, uh, which is often vastly different than who they are when they arrive. And through this, I think it provides insight not only to the complexity of the individuals, but also the depth of negative impact of captivity. And I think that'll punctuate all the reasons why captivity is not the answer; it's not the solution. That's amazing. So, will you have like a, a visitor center where you'll have video streaming of the elephants? 
I just know sometimes the public eventually has to get involved to have that tangible connection to what they're giving to. And with elephants, it's difficult in what you're trying to do. Keep people away from them. Uh, is a visitor center where people can just, like, see what's going on in educational classes and an opportunity for the future? Exactly. And, you know, we have to honor these individuals first, you know, and we have to honor their lives, their recovery. And through this, you know, that's going to further promote the, the, the full depth of what sanctuary is. And in our, our long-range plans is we will develop a, a visitor center in the city of Chapada dos Gemetes, which is about 35 miles away. Uh, it is a tourist city. Uh, people from around the world come visit the, the city, and uh, we will have an education center there that will be a conference center so we can have guest speakers such as Joyce Poole. We can have the, the cameras for people to observe, uh, and these cameras will also be fed uh, through the Internet internationally uh, so people from around the world can get to know these individuals and watch their recovery. This is great. So once again, already, please, listeners, visit Elephant uh, Elephant. Elephants, is it Elephant Sanctuary? What's uh, your website again? GlobalElephants.org. GlobalElephants.org, because you already have some great video. You can watch the land being built up and um, uh, the process of this sanctuary being built from the ground up with so much tremendous expertise and the ability to learn so much. So at the moment, we have to step away for a break, but stick with us because we still have a lot to cover, and we'll be right back. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. You count. 
Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And my special guest, Scott Blaze, with the Global Sanctuary for Elephants in Brazil. Yes, we are talking to Scott from Brazil today. Um, so, Scott, uh, you've had a lot of experience as we started out in this episode and listening to the previous episode in being with elephants from coming as a trainer to letting them thrive and be who they are and learning about their personhood. So in Sanctuary, um, as we touched on earlier, they're actually creating pseudo families as versus in the wild, it would be related family groups. So these elephants are choosing to be with one another. How in Sanctuary do you deal with, if or if it comes up, issues of disagreements? Is there space? Is and how do you handle that? Yeah, it's a it's Sanctuary is fascinating on so many levels. Uh, and and as you said, you know, as we transition from a traditional training world to giving elephants more safe uh, more space, it was a huge learning curve. You know, no one had ever given elephants space before. We didn't know how they were going to respond. And for the first time in these elephants' lives, and sometimes 40 or 50 years of living in captivity, when they arrive to sanctuary, they're given a freedom of choice. They're given autonomy. Uh, they are given an opportunity, the protection and nurturing care, to rediscover what it is not only to be an elephant, but who they are as an individual. Uh, because that sometimes takes exploration, uh, sometimes takes getting lost. One of the most fascinating things we observed in Tennessee is the depth of growth that occurred when the elephants could literally get lost. When they have enough space that they can wander away and maybe not remember exactly how to get back and how they process, how they, how they decipher how to get out of these different situations that they put themselves in. And through these, this, these, these moments, is, it is a rediscovery of self. And with dealing with the conflicts that can sometimes occur, uh, because although sanctuary is glorious, it's not this altruistic pie in the sky, everything's perfect. These elephants are traumatized. Uh, they have been neglected in many ways. They have severe trust issues. Uh, they don't know what it means to, to, to cope with aggression uh, because many times in captivity, you don't have the space to get away. So it's a, uh, it, you don't even have the fight or flight option. You just have to fight. You know? So you end up with a lot more conflict in a smaller space in traditional captivity. So in sanctuary, they have to learn how to address this. And there's two things that happen. Sometimes the individuals that have been there for a while understand how to cope with this. Uh, sometimes they guide each other through the process. 
the elephants that have been there longer will kind of mentor the newer elephants. Um, one particular case was an elephant was being aggressive to, to uh, a submissive elephant, and her two best friends just ignored her. They turned their back on her, and this elephant, the aggressor, was so distraught that her friends weren't weren't paying attention to her anymore, didn't want to be with her, and that completely uh, curtailed that behavior for this particular elephant. Uh, other times, it's, you know, with them learning who they are as an individual, they learn where to put themselves to control their own action or control their own reaction, who to subject themselves to. Do they choose to be with, you know, elephants A, B, and C or, or, or C, D, and E? You know, where do they go? And with this autonomy and freedom and choice, you actually are able to cope with these aggressive uh, these these um, mostly infrequent uh, but aggressive issues that can evolve. And part of the solution, again, as you said, is just being able to walk away. You know, just being able to go a separate direction from the, from the aggressor. And a lot of times this is enough to curtail the behavior. Uh, so it's it's similar to what you see in the wild, but you don't have the, the dynamic, the, the depth of family dynamics to rely on. Um, so yeah, it depends on the individual, depends on the rate of recovery, uh, many, many factors, depends on the depth of trauma, uh, but in captivity, uh, in, in sanctuary, it is pretty remarkable how they learn to deal with these things. That's amazing. It's almost like they're getting a third childhood or a second childhood. They get to relearn from the beginning that they didn't get to learn as children how sure. to cope, and they're learning from their peers. Yeah, they're, 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 it's, their peers have also been traumatized, but their peers are also learning to cope. So they really do get to work this out together as, you know, a, a group of unconnected people have to learn how to get along. That sounds like a message for the world. Yes, it is a journey of, it's a journey of rediscovery. It's a journey of, 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 I shouldn't say rediscovery. It's a journey of discovering life and what it means to just to be a, a living being with, with the options to choose your own way. That has nothing whatsoever to do with us. We leave them alone, as you said before. We leave them alone. If we could leave, learn to leave them alone in the wild and quit interfering, that would be great. It's slightly different circumstances because of land encroachment, human-elephant conflict. But in sanctuary, that, that element is being um, dealt with because there's going to be no conflict with people and the elephants don't have to deal with that kind of thing they can just learn to be themselves which is incredible so um we have quite a we have some time left here um what would you like us what else would you like us to know in uh in terms of what you need and where where this is all going and um you said you were going to have researchers there uh, will this help contribute to the database that Elephant Voices, one of your collaborators or partners, colleagues, um, with the cameras and contribute to understanding uh, more about how elephants uh, tell us who they are? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we'll be doing and uh, taking advantage of uh, that didn't happen in, in the previous sanctuary development with the pause in California and, and test in Tennessee, uh, right from the get-go, we are going to be uh, capturing data um, on the recovery of these elephants to scientifically document uh, the trends they go through to, to, and, and their progression, uh, physically, socially, emotionally. Uh, and this is exciting on many fronts. Uh, one, to, to, have, to prove the benefit of sanctuary, uh, which seems 
bizarre to most of us that just see it and it's very apparent, uh, but we live in a scientific world uh, that needs physical evidence, so we're going to be able to capture that this time. Uh, but also, like you said, with a database of elephant gestures and vocalizations, uh, it'll be really fascinating to compare what we see and what we collect here to that of uh, the database of, of elephant voices. Of course, they're de dealing with uh, a database that is primarily African elephants, and we will have primarily Asian elephants only because there are more Asian elephants in South America than African elephants. Uh, but I think there are some, some overlaps, there are some uh, crossover behaviors. And it'll be just a, a fascinating uh, opportunity to, to continue our education. And also Elephant Voices deals mostly with, um, although they provide expert opinion and knowledge to captive issues, they are studying wild elephants and their newest project in Mozambique is with uh, an elephant group that is very aggressive, so they're learning all new things. But what you get to hear through Global Sanctuary for Elephants and Elephants returning, uh, learning to be themselves, there's quite a possibility that you know, the overlap of sounds, but maybe new sounds and gestures as they learn to get along with each other under what started out as an unnatural situation. Exactly. It's just you know, more opportunities to, to expand our knowledge and expand our awareness. And I think that's where our society has to go in general. Absolutely. You know, we, we have an opportunity now to, to step away from what society has told us is normal, uh, that animals are here for us, uh, that we can pet and play with, with any animal that exists, basically, um, you know, with petting tigers and riding elephants and, and, you know, watching bears stand on their head. And this is, we have to get away from this until we start respecting these individuals for who they are and not what they can do for us or how they make us feel, uh, they don't stand a chance. Our world doesn't stand a chance. Our natural world doesn't stand a chance. We have to really step back and remove ourselves from this equation um, and truly honor these individuals, these species, uh, for who they are naturally. Um, again, not what they can do for us. And, and, and this is, I think, our society is going there. We're seeing our society go there with advancing legislation of uh, ban banning performing elephants, uh, as you mentioned, Ringling Brothers taking their elephants off the road. I think we're getting there, but we still have further to go. Uh, we, we have to take them out of the confinement, out of the cages, and just let them be who they truly are. And figure out a way to, I hate to use the word manage, but live with and coexist with wild elephants. Um, where they live in Asia and in Africa. And that's what's so fun about this particular series that we're doing right now. Joyce and Petter was last week. We have you talking about uh, the crossover from captivity to sanctuary. And then next week we have Tim Gorski, who's going to be that's talking it. about the Asian elephants and what in uh, Thailand and what they go through and that whole tourist industry. So we're covering a wide scope of information for our listeners to understand that this is a global issue and in the end it comes down to what you just said we have to learn to live with them and leave them alone so that we don't need sanctuary and uh, that they can just be who they are where they're they were put placed on this amazing planet called earth and uh, so what else is going on what are some of the um, immediate future plans and um, do you have a wish list that our listeners can help you with Yes, we do have a wish list, uh, and our immediate plans are, are, are extensive and broad. Uh, our, our, our first goal, of course, is we need to get Elephant Sanctuary Brazil up and running. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, fascinate many of our, our friends and, and colleagues in the United States 
that are often battling to get elephants out of these captive situations is that battle doesn't exist here. Basically, we have elephants lining up the, at the door. So as soon as we can complete our first phase of development, we have three elephants that will be coming immediately. One of those is Ramba, who was the last circus elephant in Chile. And she's been kind of in a temporary situation at a safari park or a small zoo um, for about uh, four years now. Uh, she's waiting for sanctuary. And then we also have Maya and Gita. These are two circus elephants that were confiscated in Brazil about five years ago. And tragically, uh, even though the, the first move to confiscate them was a positive one, there wasn't an alternative. There wasn't a solution. Uh, there was no other place for them to go. So the lawyer for the circus actually stepped up and said he can take them on his small farm. Uh, here they, these two elephants remain, as they have been for five years, uh, chained in place, uh, no freedom to move. One, Gita, is now about 1,000 pounds underweight. Uh, Maya has become increasingly aggressive. Um, and these are sadly the norm for elephants in Brazil, uh, just a lot of, uh, in, in South America and actually around the world, you know, captive elephants are essentially neglected and we, until we build a solution, they have no options. Uh, Brazil has already confiscated more elephants than, than, uh, than USDA has in, in North America. Uh, many of them have been placed at inferior zoos. Many of these zoos are looking for an option, and we hope to provide that. So as soon as we can open our doors, we have elephants on their way. Uh, to put this in perspective a little bit, when I started the sanctuary in Tennessee, we had three elephants in the first three years. Here we expect as many as six to ten in the first year alone. Uh, so the depth of uh, the need is extensive, and the depth of positive impact that we can have immediately is just is, is astronomical. That's tremendous. So listeners, I hope you caught the the underlying urgency of what's going on. Previously, in our first or second section, Scott said to reach their benchmark goal of phase one, they still need another $150,000. And as we, and that's U.S. dollars. And as we said, your U.S. dollar is going to go four times as far right now in Brazil because of the recession that's going on there. So there is no better time to donate Whatever you can give, whether it's $5, $50, $5,000, it's going to make a huge difference for many elephants that are already under urgent circumstances in Brazil. That does, We're not talking about the rest of the world and urgent, ur, urgent circumstances there. Um, there is an immediate need. There are elephants lining up, waiting up at the door because they just went, as Scott said, from one bad situation to another. The trauma hasn't changed. In fact, maybe it's increased to this point where they can get into the sanctuary. So it's really important to uh, donate now. Go to ele uh, globalelephants.org, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter, and donate now. And uh, just so we can complete phase one. So, Scott, we've got a couple of minutes left here. Um, wing it for me. What do you want us to know? You mentioned a, a second ago that it's not, the issue is not just in Brazil. And that's, that's why we formulated Global Sanctuary for Elephants in 2013, uh, the nonprofit organization in the United States, uh, is to, to help solve the problem. Building sanctuaries are, is challenging. It's difficult. It's, uh, it's, especially in these early stages when money is tight, it's, uh, it's, there's no other way to describe it. And then I kind of chuckle at the challenges. You know, there's limited equipment, limited uh, tools, and a substantial amount of work. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, there's, 
this need exists all over the world, and we have the capacity, not only the, the, the fortitude and dedication, uh, but the knowledge to bring sanctuary to life. Uh, part of our motivation is specifically because of the impact, the positive impact that we saw in Tennessee. We watched transformation after transformation after transformation that was just it was, they were remarkable. They're beyond description in some ways. And that's what pushes us to move forward to give elephants around the globe this opportunity to, to rediscover life, uh, to recover from the traumas of captivity, and as, they, as these individuals also help to educate uh, the public and the world of what they need, not only to impact these individual lives, but what we need to protect elephants globally. This is amazing. It's, it's been fascinating talking with you as always, but so wonderful to hear so many positive things since we last spoke. So once again, listeners, check out Scott Blaze's uh, November, uh, what date was it? I had it written down. It was November 2014, uh, The Gift of Life for Elephants, when uh, I first met Scott after the PAUSE conference, and to see how much has changed because of philanthropy, altruism, and people who want to make a difference, and it's happening all over the world. So it just takes us to give a little time, a little thought, and some money to make these things happen. So once again, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much. And I think you just punctuated it clearly. Uh, Never doubt the impact that each individual can have. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. That's usually my wrap-up line, and I'm so glad that you got that in there. So, you know, in order to have a wild world, it's going to take us, humanity, to change the way we live with other non-human beings. And that's what this program is about, to help highlight for us, our human listeners, what we can do. And there's a lot we can do. So until next week, this is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.